0: Welcome to the Comfy Living Podcast, where you'll learn how to become a better entrepreneur in the short-term rental space with Airbnb. Listen in as we interview our expert colleagues, Joshua Adiboye and Norman Hamilton, and take advantage of their years of experience that will help you take your rentals to a whole new level. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the next episode of the Comfy Living Short-Term Rental Makeover Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, we have two special guests. We have Daniel Cruz from Wash b and and we have John Kroger from Cream City Executive Stays. So I'm going to let these guys go ahead and give their introduction, and we got a special one here for you guys, man. So I guess, uh, John, do you mind giving yourself your uh, introduction, and then we can go to Daniel.
1: John Kroger from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Cream City Executive says We have like a dozen short-term rentals that we operate here. Yeah, we started back in October 2019 with one unit and then grew to 12 units by, I think it was September of 2020. So kind of grew through the pandemic a little bit, which was a little surprising. Here we are. And uh, yeah, I'm Daniel Cruz,
2: CEO of Washbnb. Also located here in Milwaukee. I got my started as an Airbnb host here in Milwaukee in 2016 when I moved from San Francisco. One of those things I sort of stumbled into. I was doing uh, some other entrepreneurial things on my transition here from San Francisco, and uh, none of those worked out. But Airbnb hosting, which I was kind of just running as a side hustle, did work out, and so kept growing and expanding that, and running into what I think a lot of hosts run into, and that's a big laundry issue and realized there just weren't great solutions to that. So John and I had the pleasure of meeting back in 2019 as he was getting started and WashBee was sort of born from the idea that he was going to need a lot more help on laundry and operations than he and his small crew were going to have time to do. And I was tired of my corporate job. So dove into finding the best solution for short-term rentals um, in terms of like linen rental and laundry.
0: Nice. So I guess, John, could you take a moment to just like, you know, Talk to us in general about like the problem that hosts have with cleaning, laundry in particular, especially as they scale.
1: Sure. So trying to think back, I've always had the luxury of having Daniel and wash B&B. But when I did have my one unit, you know, I think the issue with having 10 units would be how do I manage the amount of laundry? Where do I store it? How do I clean it properly? I'm doing arbitrage in apartments, so I have efficiency unit washers and dryers where you can only do I can't complete one load. It's probably gonna take two or three loads to get all the laundry done from one stay, the quick turnaround, obviously. So, from that perspective, like in terms of scaling, there's obviously a, a cost in buying the linens and the towels. Sometimes that comes at the expense of the quality. So, you know, I was purchasing polyester blends and I guess we're mentioning things every once in a while, but it wasn't a huge issue. Dealing with damaged items was always a problem. Stains, having to replace things. Uh, there was a cost there that was kind of a, an issue. So being able to introduce, you know, something like Wash B and B really just took away almost all of my laundry problems. But yeah, I mean, I think that had I scaled from one to 10 units, I would be having laundry would have been easily Running around with laundry in my car, like bringing it to martinizing, which was one of the solutions I had, which is like a big, you know, they dump your laundry off at the big laundry mat. You pay like whatever it is, 350 a pound or something like that. It was expensive. So honestly, I think I wouldn't be able to manage my 10 units currently without having the additional cost of having my cleaners take it home and do it. And that's just another headache I didn't want to deal with for them. You know, they're a cleaning company. They're not a laundry company. And for them, I think that would have been a challenge too.
0: Right. So it sounded like the challenge was not necessarily doing the laundry, but the management of the laundry itself at scale and uh, connecting with Daniel was basically the the solution to that. And like you said, like you wanted your cleaners to focus on cleaning, not necessarily like, oh, how are we going to manage all this laundry that we have, like the logistics that come with the laundry. And basically working with Wash B&B was able to alleviate all of that.
1: Yeah, the turnaround times are so quick. And, you know, when I'm doing how I operate is I have turnovers all the time, same day turnovers all the time. So managing that laundry aspect in between that four hour gap between 11 and 3, right? it's just a whole nother, I mean, I don't even know where what the problems would look like. I mean, I've been blessed that I don't have to worry about it, but. The fact that I can have my cleaners come in and turn over seven, eight units in a four-hour period is massive for me.
0: Extremely, man. I've, you're probably one of the first operators I've heard say, "Yeah, we can turn over seven in a day." Dude, that, that's seriously impressive.
1: Thanks yeah. to Fig Cleaning too. I mean, there's there's segments to this, right? There's different parts to how this all operates. Like I view us all as partners in a way. Like I'm not an owner of Fig Cleaning. I'm not an owner of Wash B and B. But like. We need all those pieces to make this thing operate the way that it's supposed to. And right. so like fig cleaning also grew with us. So it's funny how my business grew, Wash B&B grew and fig all grew at the same time, kind of using each other in a way to, to grow our businesses.
0: Right. So let's take a step back. How did you guys meet?
2: Yeah, actually at our neighborhood association meeting, which here is just sort of a semi-formal gathering of leaders and volunteers. And usually the alderman, which is sort of like the district representative for the city government, shows up. Business leaders are members in the neighborhood association. So we just had a neighborhood association meeting in fall of 2019 that was sort of focused around Milwaukee winning the Democratic National Convention. Democratic National Conventions are, you know, the Republican one also. They're big drivers of hotel volume, of short-term rental volume. If you're familiar with the, the sort of the lore of Airbnb and how they got started, actually, they have the presidential conventions in 2008 were a huge catalyst for their growth. And then they actually, they did like the Obama O's and I forget which the other cereal pack they did. Cereal packs... That sort of helped finance the early days of Airbnb. So it's kind of funny, like we experienced the same gold rush here in Milwaukee in 2019, where it was announced that we won. And then everybody you could talk of in the neighborhood was like, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars on Airbnb. Watch. I'm going to change my life by renting out my house to CNN or to <laughs> the delegation from Bernie Sanders or whatever it was. And some people legitimately had good opportunities to do that. I think CNN booked an entire hotel here downtown for a couple million dollars for the week, 10 days or something like that. Some people got some crazy listings. And so the city government was trying to understand what this was going to mean. And given that I had a good relationship already, we, uh, the city alderman introduced me to John and some other folks uh, who were interested in moving to the neighborhood and setting up Airbnb businesses. And because I was sort of established over the past four years, just asked me like, Hey, what's going on with this? You know, are these people legit and keep your eye on it. And so just had some good conversations with John that night. And I kind of left that night thinking that, okay, there's a lot of business going on here. This is a gold rush, but these people need help with services, with operations. There's a lot of stuff that happens, I think behind the scenes when hosting an Airbnb, especially five of them or 10 of them or 50 of them. I think say Alfred was looking at 50 units in a, in a very nearby building. Also it's hard to operate a hotel in an apartment building without the right services. So I kind of went home that night and I was really unhappy with my job and uh, told my girlfriend, like, all right, it's time to start this laundry company I've been thinking about for three years. And so that's kind of how we met. And I took like a month and pitched John the idea for Washbnb on January 1st as he was setting up the first units that he was moving into. And he didn't have much of a choice, but I think it was a good <laughs> pitch. <laughs> it was hard to say whether he just like defaulted to yes or, but we made we sort of made it work. I spent the next couple of months like getting a logo, a name for the business, all that fun stuff, and really figuring out how we were going to operate but immediately once his units were open, we started just doing washing and folding the sheets that he'd already had purchased just to show that you know we were in this as a partner and, and getting ready to go for it.
1: It was nice. an easy yes for me easy yes for me Maybe. I was doing real estate at the time, so I was busy. I was like you know selling houses, trying to sell houses, trying to help people buy houses like. Doing laundry was the last thing I wanted to think about doing. So when Daniel said he's going to do my laundry, I was like, sure.
0: And John, so what were you doing prior to starting Cream City Executive Stays? It sounds like you were a realtor.
1: That all kind of happened right around the same time. My previous job was as an IT recruiter at a company downtown. That was a desk job, nine to five, a lot of phone calls, a lot of cold calling. Hated that job with a passion And quit that and then kind of transitioned into real estate that summer and launched the Airbnb units at same time. So the catalyst for me quitting my job was that I had my dad pass away and he needed some, well, before that he needed some help at the house. So I quit my job. It was a good excuse to quit and go help him out with what he was getting done with chemo and stuff. So That was probably about six to eight months. And then um, once he passed away, me and my brother talked about, you know, what do we want to do with the inheritance that he left us? And we wanted to start a business together. I told him about the idea that I had heard from a friend in Canada who brought it to my attention. He was down with it. And then I just kind of grinded it out and got that whole thing started also while getting my real estate license and kind of beginning that process.
0: Wow, and you know, although like although not ideal, but this definitely seemed to this almost seems like faded in the sense of like, okay, you got your you got your business started, and then like here comes Wash B and B to help you scale that, uh, help you scale what you were doing.
1: Yeah, the timing. I mean, you can't ask for better timing for me. It sometimes that's how these things work out. It's just uh, the doors open up, you know, right. at the right time. You've heard a million people talk about this, like. I don't know that it's anything special for me. I think that this is kind of how it feels for a lot of people. But it was definitely awesome that the opportunity presented itself. And I knew that managing five units at the time, we were planning on scaling to 20 before the DNC because we had started to see that the rates for the DNC were like stupid. And we had the Ryder Cup coming to town, which is the same kind of problem. You know, there's only like 15,000 rooming houses in the city of Milwaukee is something like that. And those events drive like 50,000 people to the city. So um, there's a huge gap there. And so that was what we were going to do was we were going to take this thing and we were going to run up to 20, 25 units and crush it in the summer um, right. pandemic obviously changed, uh, changed it. Yeah. that whole game I plan. Mean, it was,
2: it was true gold rush. It, it, it was at crazy. End of 2019. Milwaukee was named by Airbnb as the number one destination globally. in for 2020, Uh, We saw 1,400% growth from 2017 to 2018 in Airbnb reservation volume and 750% growth from 2018 to 2019. That made Airbnb pay attention and also say, hey, these guys have got Ryder Cup, they've got DNC, they've got Summerfest. I mean, it's going to be an insane summer in Milwaukee. And so that was cool that Airbnb recognized that too and, and gave us that bump and that PR hit sort of all eyes internally and externally were focused on what was going to happen in Milwaukee last summer. So it was really a crazy time to be building something. But for sure, I mean, like give yourself the, the credit for, for standing up and just doing it. And I mean, going from zero to six units in two months was pretty wild.
1: And It was awesome that we, we got the property managers to work with us. You know, it's all about relationships. So everything is always about building relationships with people. You know, I met the property manager at the building that we're in right now. And we just hit it off in terms of like we get along great. Uh, me and Daniel met; we get along great. The aldermen, like, I think that goes a long ways than anything in life is just like being a good person and obviously just like being able to communicate and relate with people, and it'll take you a long ways. Uh, it's amazing what just uh, networking and being a nice person can do for you. No, it's s-
0: seriously, dude, and that's amazing. So to talk a little bit about the growth of Milwaukee as a city, like we've obviously seen how like John has you know benefited from. Even throughout the pandemic, from just the growth in uh, Milwaukee, I see you have a shirt that says "Laundry Sucks." Daniel, how is uh, the growth of Milwaukee as a city affected? Uh, Wash B and also for those who, for people who are listening who may not necessarily know Wash B and B is, like what what do you guys do? What is the list of services you provide, and who do you guys serve?
2: Yeah, that's probably a good time to get into a good intro Wash B B. So Wash Me and I'll describe it like this. It, our sort of tagline is that we automate luxury linens as a service for short-term rental host enterprise providers. That's like anybody from Sonder at the biggest end of that fish, uh, that scale all the way down to, you know, an operator like Jarm who starts at 5, you know, 10. Lots of operators in this country have between 5 and 75 units. It seems to be a pretty standard place to get started whether you're arbitraging or managing other people's units and then boutique hotels and linen rental so we rent you all of the luxury linens that you need to change between every guest stay. we use 100 cotton it's really sustainable and it's the same product that is in use actually globally at the malia hotel group so they're the international version of the ritz carlton so super high-end great stuff to sleep in great stuff to dry off of when you get out of the shower so we rent you all of that we pick it up and we drop it off. We set it up for you. If you have like a linen closet or something like that, we don't go in the units and change the bed. So that's for your you or your housekeeping staff to take care of. And we then we do of course all the laundry on the back end. And we price it by the reservation. Uh, instead of most laundry companies price things by the pound or by the piece they rent you. We found there's just a whole bunch of commodity style issues that come with that. They started, you know, nickel and dime you to death on, you know, if there's a missing piece damage. And we kind of say like, Hey, we're, we're host ourselves. Like we're building this from the perspective of a host. So what would a host need in a service to completely solve all their issues around laundry, around linen selection, around quality of you know bed and bath experience. So we built this from that perspective. And that's really what it's designed to do in the pandemic. Of course, we learned that your business can go quickly from 95% occupancy to zero. And so we wanted to make sure that as hosts ourselves, that hosts weren't being stuck with a lot of fixed cost, And that's why also another reason why we priced by the reservation, your reservation volume goes to zero. You're not making any money. You shouldn't be paying your laundry company. You shouldn't be paying for a service that that's not able to help you in that moment. So that sort of drives out of that. So we have been started in Milwaukee. We started right before the pandemic also. So Really good time to quit your job and uh, start a company that's, you know, dependent on people traveling, but it worked out actually pretty well. And I think experience of building a company bookended by crisis, like the world has, you know, never seen before in the modern sense. You know, it taught us a lot. It taught us a lot about perseverance, about hospitality, taking care of other people, helping others that are, you know, that need it. And I think that's like part of the lore of our company. It's going to be that way forever, which is really cool for us. And we were, I like to say, it's a privilege that we're able to do this and survive a pandemic and now come out on the other end thriving. We're in Milwaukee. We're getting ready to expand down to Chicago. Uh, and we're raising our first um, outside capital as a seed round. And we decided to actually do that via crowdfunding. Uh, so right now you can jump on wefunder.com forward slash wash uh, We're still in friends and family private preview mode, um, but we'll be launching to the public on May 4th. And the goal really there is, is again, how do we extend from built by host for host to owned by host? And that's a powerful way to align values and say, we're always going to do what's best for our customers. We're going to be creating value for our customers, giving them time to get back to hospitality, get back to guest experience. You want to add 10 more units, but you don't got time to go to Walmart or. Order from Costco all your new sheets and everything, just call your Wash B&B guy. They'll have it there for you, like ready to go the next day. You set up those beds, you set up your your whole your setup, get you know, take time, remove time doing that, removes time between flips. We specialize in laundry and linen care. Your cleaning service most likely does not. So we solve that problem too. We give your cleaning service or your housekeeping team or yourself if you're doing it yourself. We give you the sort of like tools to quickly go and do the unit. So you can spend a little more time cleaning if that's what you need to do, but your bed making chores basically go from three to five hours, depending on how many beds you have. And if you're doing all the laundry in that cycle to five minutes per bed, we're teaching triple sheeting, which is borrowed from the hotel industry also. So that dramatically reduces the amount of time you have to spend messing with duvets. It gives you a really nice hotel style bed, which is great to sleep in. I used to spend 150 nights a year in hotels. So I I've slept at a lot of them, all the different chains. So I love that feeling, right? You want to recreate that for your guests. And so that's sort of our long-term goal is how we build the Westin heavenly bed for Airbnbs. So it doesn't matter if you stay at John's place here in Milwaukee, place in Atlanta, place in San Francisco, New York, at a cabin out in the woods. Like how do we teach enough hosts that this is so vital to hospitality and guest experience that you Just abide by these simple standards, have a company that's with you alongside to help you make it easier and and give you the right quality. So guests never freaked out again. Like, am I going to stay at that Airbnb with the bloody sheets or like the booger on the on the pillowcase? You know, hopefully everybody's washing their stuff, especially the pandemic. But so we want to eliminate all those incentives to cheat and just provide high quality, repeatable guest stays, no matter where you are.
0: That sounds fantastic. So how do people get set up? So like I have, say, for example, I have like 20 units. And I'm currently doing my own laundry. How do I get set up? Is there like an onboarding process with you guys? And how do you guys like sync up with my reservation calendar? How does all that work?
2: Yeah. So for right now, we're sort of building this company in beta mode. And fundraising, of course, which is going to allow us to expand in new places. So for the time being, we're just going to be working with for 2021. We're just going to be working with hosts like yourself that have got a number of units, you know, some sort of centralized location to do deliveries and logistics to and a housekeeping crew to work with. We are in the background developing all of the automation and the easy stuff for individual Airbnb hosts or folks that don't have as much volume uh, and deliveries for those as well. But that's going to come next year. So if right now, Norman, what we would do is, you know, we would jump on the phone with you, explain pricing, give you a proposal, tell you this is how much it's going to cost for each of your different unit, you know, layouts and setups per reservation. So that way you can say, okay, I've got 10 checkouts per month on average in this unit. So here's what my cost is going to be. That'll give you a chance to adjust your cleaning costs, your cleaning fees, uh, if you're breaking it down between linen fee and cleaning fee or however you're doing it. Generally, our pricing is there's plenty of space with our pricing structure to charge a cleaning fee that pays both for the cleaning of the unit and the laundry and linen service. Uh, so that's our goal make it a pass-through cost for you so your guests are paying for it, not it's not coming out of your pocketbook. And then in terms of onboarding, we'll send you a full package of in-unit signage. So we've got signs for like bedside cards that explain what's, you know, how sustainable the sheets are, what they're made of, how high quality they are. A sticker for the bedroom or for the bathroom mirror, which will sort of also explain about makeup and try to prevent damage to the towels. Um, Another sustainability message there about water usage. If you have in-unit washers and dryers, we put a sticker on the washer asking guests, please do not wash towels and linens. So we actually do this at a specialized process using ozone. So we're able to get it much cleaner than you are. And also, we just think it's not a very good experience to ask hosts who are paying a lot of money to stay in a place to start doing laundry or you know start doing a lot of the, the help out around the house. And so we'll probably do with that. We'll provide you with either a housekeeper training program, or we'll just send over the materials to show triple sheeting. So we'll make sure that everybody in your system has a real clear you know, idea of how to make a great hospitality bed, what to do with the linens when they're soiled. If there's a stain on them, You know, we provide some stain mitigation solution. You just spray on it and then put it back in the, the wash B&B bags. Arrange for pickup and delivery. And then we just kind of go from there. It's very manual at this point. So we, our goal is to do deliveries once or twice a week, depending on your volume and make sure that your staff always has enough supplies on hand to get through your busy weekend or your busy Sunday, Monday, turnover day, whatever that may be without having to call us and say, Hey, shoot, I need an extra five towels or something. We're just going to make sure we have a par level where you got everything that you need. We don't have access to like the Airbnb API at this point. We're working on some different partner access points, but until we're in five to 10 of the biggest cities in the U S we just won't sort of have that functionality built in. So instead of sort of predicting what your busy weeks are going to be, we're just going to load you with like, four sets of towels, four sets of sheets for every unit, and we will just run par levels a little bit higher until we get that sort of like full integration where we're able to read your calendars, predict exactly how many linens and things you're going to need, and then make sure you're always stocked just running. That'll just make things a little bit more efficient from our end, but your experience won't change much uh, when those things go on. Uh, And like I said, for individual Airbnb hosts, there's just a, a lot more cost associated with working with one, two unit places that are spread out all around the city. So my team is hard at work building sort of like automation processes, putting people on a subscription program, and connecting that to a logistics network that will sort of automate the delivery and pick up and drop off of linens from you know people's porches or apartment buildings, wherever these uh, units are.
0: That makes perfect sense. I mean, from a scalability standpoint, it definitely makes sense to work with like bigger operators who are growing. That way, like you can kind of build a relationship with them. And then as they grow, like you grow, you guys are obviously growing as well. So outside of besides Milwaukee, uh, what other markets are you guys in or what markets are you like looking to get into?
2: We can do Chicago, as we sort of talked about earlier. Chicago is just 80 mile drive down the road for us. And we have a really great, you know, fantastic laundry partner here in Milwaukee. That's got probably the the best, you know, the highest end laundry equipment in the Midwest. So we want to drive a lot of volume to their facility. And then we are currently talking with a couple of those big enterprise operators looking for a market that we can move to, and so, part of our seed round raise is we got to do two things. We've got to prove that we can do this at scale, so we can repeat our process, do it in different cities. No different than if you're, you know, operating in Houston and you want to go operate in San Antonio. Like, can you prove to your investors that you can do this? You can manage teams outside of the place. So that's one. And then the other one is that you know we've got to prove that this is a business worth pursuing. That there's unit economics here that work. There's a path to profitability. And so we're going to grow and show the path to profitability here in the Midwest, Chicago and Milwaukee, mostly. And while at the same time looking for a market to expand to, and right now it kind of looks like Austin, Nashville, or Miami are sort of the three. We're working with some, like I said, some enterprise providers around the space. Our goal is to land in a new city with about a hundred units under contract. So we're not just bleeding all of our cash out. Our team's hit the ground. They're doing some work, learning really quickly. And then go from there. Central Texas is is a very attractive market. We've got some investors that are there already with units all around Central Texas. So we think that that's a really exciting place for us to look at. Also, there's different weather, different weather patterns and seasonality. You know, summer in the southern United States is typically slow and it's slammed here. And the winter is pretty dead up here. And that when everybody, you know, flees south for to avoid the cold weather. But I think if we're able to prove this stuff over the next 12 months, you know, we raise the money, number one. Number two, we prove what we need to prove on those two facets. And then three, we just start looking towards next summer 2022 and saying, hey, there's a really big business here. There's a lot of people need our help and want our help. Let's go get into the top 20, 30 cities in the US. And let's look to international expansion and potentially look at a franchise program as well. I think there's a ton of really, really great vacation rental markets out there that may not make sense to have a full sort of corporate presence due to the seasonality or just the limitedness of scope, but they're awesome local operators there that really understand those markets. So a bunch of them have already reached out to us and saying, Hey, I'm in Aspen. I run a whole maintenance business. I take care of all these like multi-million dollar properties up and down the Valley. Maybe I could add, you know, your lawn, your secret sauce on laundry processing and linens to what I'm already doing for my, for my owners. Uh, So we think there's some opportunity to also look into that in a couple of years as well.
0: Is that something that you guys are sold on doing, or is it just something you're exploring right now?
2: I think it's something we're exploring on doing. Franchising is rife with a whole bunch of issues. I think it's of the right time to look at that whole model and say, is there a better way to do this that you result in like, you know, better performing stores or outposts, no, you know, drop in quality. I think our big opportunity here is like people. When you jump into a room full of Airbnb hosts or operators. I mean, people are passionate about this laundry thing. It's uh, We wear these shirts to say laundry sucks for a reason because I got stories of, you know, it doesn't matter if you're operating two units or 10,000, like your laundry companies have failed you in the past. Your linen rental companies have failed you. We just heard a story yesterday from, you know, the, the top five provider in the country about some linen contract. They were asked to be signed in a city that was new to them. And they just looked at, they took one look at the contract and they called the guys and like, Hey, just don't ever talk to us again. Like if you're going to send us this shady three year contract, that's impossible to get out of that nickel and dimes us to death and feels like I'm buying a sleazy used car from a sleazy salesman, like just don't even do it. You know, that company lost that deal like instantly just by sending their terrible contract over. And so our goal was really just like, how do we approach this again? Like from the host perspective, and take care of people, and that means there's people that are really passionate doing this business. I've got a list of 20 people already that have offered to buy franchises. So that's also why we pivoted to crowdfunding. Like, how do we get hosts involved in this process? How do you like, if we're able to build a big business doing this, like, how do we also enrich you know the lives and the pocketbooks of people around us too at a small stake? You know, you get into the wash B round for a hundred dollars minimum. You know, that may not look like a huge sum of money. But for us, it's meaningful and we're able to, you know, put it to work uh, and hope to grow that, you know, by 10 times here in the next few years and 100 times or a thousand times or, you know, Uber like 45,000 times over the next you know, 15 years or something like that. So that's, that's kind of the vision and the goals that we're looking at.
0: Right. And it's a company that seems like it's primarily dedicated towards hosts, obviously. I don't understand why any host wouldn't want to contribute to something like this, because I mean, I'm not trying to knock Airbnb now. But if you look at some of the moves that Airbnb's done, like it's questionable. Their treatment of hosts is definitely questionable.
2: Yeah. And I, I think so much of that stems from when you're forced to choose between investors and customers, you know, your value system really comes into play there and when your investors are you know huge vc firms large multinational banks they are very good at exerting a lot of pressure and sometimes you have to make choices that may not be the best for your customers and my goal is to try to avoid those situations as much as possible with Washbeam B like we're customer obsessed I and mean, that's a term that gets thrown around probably way too much um, after amazon sort of coined it but uh we you know i really am that way like danny Meyer from union square hospitality group you know shake shack ceo he, he wrote a book called setting the table 13 years ago now 15, 14 years ago now it really changed my life and it put these principles you know where you value your stakeholders and the order you take care of them and first is employees and second is guests or customers, then it's community, then it's suppliers and then finally investors. And so I think if we just sort of live that mantra, of like let's take care of ourselves first, our customers next, our community after that, all the companies we work with around us, the environment's definitely part of the communities. It's a huge thing of what we're trying to do. And then investors, I think we'll build something that's meaningful and, and will help a lot of hosts, you know. Succeed, get better at their business, and then we get to share in that growth too, which is really cool.
0: Right, right. I know we've spoken about uh, going to different markets, but like, has COVID affected the roadmap of your company? Has COVID accelerated it? Like, I guess this is for both of you guys too. Like, how has COVID affected both of you guys as a business? I know you guys said you were getting started during the pandemic. Like, how has that affected you? And then coming out of that, like, how has that like changed the way you've operated? Because I know some people who've gone completely underwater because of COVID. But then some people took crazy risks, my, my, myself included, during COVID, which uh, since then has like, which has been able to give them tremendous growth as a, a company. So how, how has that affected both of you guys?
2: Yeah, I'll jump in first. That's really cool, Norman, that you're able to get a bunch of growth and take that risk. I feel like people that took, you know, not unnecessary risks that put their, you know, families or employees at danger, but took risk during this pandemic and realized that it was a temporary pause and what was going on and, and that some things would be adjusted, I think are coming out really, really strong on the other end. Um, the key is to figure out how to keep your business alive, pivot when it makes sense. But if, if you if you know your values, right, you can just pivot within your values. So for washb b helping people uh, was core to us. We started the company John had this incredible February. He had like 10 checkouts at each of his properties in February last year, 2020. And he was just getting started, right? He had 15 days of experience in January. And all of a sudden, all of his places were booked, like 95% capacity in February, which is the slowest month of business in in Milwaukee. We looked at that and I'm like, oh man, we got to go guys. Like, We got to build this company fast because our our customers are busy. And everybody is sort of like talking about how insane this is going to be. And then we went from that to zero, right? Like, I quit my job. I had, I was expecting to make money not from Washbnb. That's sort of like a two year time horizon of, of trying to make money on against, um, you know, by being a founder. But, you know, being an Airbnb host, I still had my three units in Milwaukee that were doing, that had always done really well. I bartend also at the Brewers and the Buck Stadiums. And so I was like, okay, I got these, you know, backup, you know, sources of income. It should float me for a couple of years. We got Washbnb and then, like, no sporting events, no concerts, no bartending income. No Airbnb reservations for two months, like completely all, everybody just, you know, ghosted at me like everybody else. And I was like, okay, cool. I got zero right now. <laughs> what do I do? We actually pivoted at WashBnB. We, we launched a laundry service for seniors and people that couldn't uh, leave their homes. And so, and we offered to pay for it. Like if you couldn't afford to have your laundry done and you couldn't make it to a laundromat, like we did it for free. And what we charged, most people ended up offering to pay um, what we were asking. And some people offered to say, like, I could just pay $5 a bag. So that sort of like kept some lights on. It gave us something to do. We put some money towards that. We raised some money from donations to help offset the cost. We hired like out-of-work bartenders and service industry folks. And so that like gave us enough to survive those really tough few months. While a hotel that was being built in Milwaukee read about the story loved it and said, Hey, we are is Wash B still alive? Can you do this for the hotel? And that sort of like snapped us back to life and said, All right, we're ready. Like Wash B still a thing. I think like John's businesses were getting, you know, units were getting still getting booked throughout the pandemic, you know, at a lower rate, but there was some promising rays of sunshine last summer, early last summer for sure. And so we went back to like building Wash B really quickly. Obviously, we implemented a whole bunch of like cleaning, safety protocols, checklists, things to make sure that we weren't being any responsible for transmitting any contagions from place to place. Um, checking with our laundry provider that they've got the proper accreditations in place. We invest in an ozone machine in our own facility. Uh, so when we wash things, everything goes through ozone, which absolutely kills everything, including bed bugs, which is really nice. And I think it definitely slowed down what we wanted to do. We thought we would be operating like all over Milwaukee by the end of summer last year, expanding into Chicago and Minneapolis by the end of the year, and then basically doing what we're looking at doing next year, this year. So we just had to take our time you read all these stories about how these companies get going and you always feel like it's overnight, but three to five years is really before anything really starts happening for most startups and five to 10 years is when usually when everything sort of starts clicking. So it was also good. Like gave us a chance to work with, with John, with the double Dutch hotel, uh, with a few other customers that we brought in. And so we did a lot of handholding. They held our hands like back and forth and we figured out how to build the service, you know, slowly with customers with paying customers, with their guests, and I think that really helped us and gave us another breather when COVID really surged again in winter last year. It gave us another opportunity to jump in and say, "Okay, what do we have on our hands? What's working? What's not?" Circle the wagons around what's working. Is this something that we think we can we can go back to doing in a bigger way? And yeah, so that's uh, that's sort of where we're going now. And now we're just looking at all the business coming back with revenge travel and be like, "Man, I wish we were in more cities right now," but we'll get there.
0: Wow. Dude, initially when you were telling me this, to me, it sounded like, wait, COVID made you guys accelerate quicker. But now after all that, you're saying that, no, COVID slowed you guys down. That is, dude, that that's crazy. I didn't even know you were working at a bar at that point. That's crazy. So wait, you went from corporate America to working at a, to bartending and then doing, and then doing Wash B&B?
2: Yeah, I like, I burned out on my job. I was a brewery manager in San Francisco in the marketing department. Mm-hmm. In 2000, up until 2014, and just burned out really, really hard and left that job and just sort of like worked for myself. Uh, but doing a lot of stuff that was very similar, like working with music festivals on their alcohol sponsorships, mm-hmm. doing a bunch of traveling still, but just never really recovering from like that corporate burnout. Mm-hmm. And so, I uh, part of that was moving to Milwaukee, part of that was like, I started getting into Airbnb hosting, Mm -hmm. started getting into bartending. If anybody needs a good way to make money, like go to your local stadium and get a job as a bartender. Like, basketball arena you can make uh 50 to 100 dollars an hour you work like 4 hours a night it's crazy <laughs> it's like
1: it's we like honest too a- though like, Yeah, we, uh, that coincided pretty perfectly with the the rise of the bucks and the brewers are also at the pinnacle of their but i mean yes definitely it's stadium bartending
2: is is one of those like life hacks like keep that in my pocket the, yeah the easiest kind of bartending to do and the highest volume and also just good money so I got into that and I kind of like found this way and I was like, okay, I don't really have to like go to work. I don't have to do the the hustle that, you know, was killing me at the time. And I had a really good couple of years, had some amazing summers in Milwaukee and, you know, I got involved in a relationship and she wanted me to get serious about a job and stuff again. So that's kind of, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's honestly kind of one of the reasons why I, you know, got back into corporate world, went to work at GE healthcare, but you know, it was, I'm grateful for those opportunities too, because that taught me that you don't go back to work at corporate world. It's bad for your health. It's just not for me. Like it's for a lot of people, but it's not for me. So that was a good reminder. Just like, I'm doing the wrong thing. The Airbnb thing is working. It always has worked. Let's like, how do I double down on that? Where do I dive in? And so, yeah, that's definitely like a sort of short version of the last like five years for me and, but how it worked out.
0: That's great, dude. So you lived in the Bay.
2: Yeah, I grew up in near Napa. Okay, I moved back to San Francisco in 2008, mm-hmm. and I was there from eight in 2000 until 2015. Wow! And then yeah, it was an insane time to be in San Francisco. Like our rent went from twenty seven hundred dollars a month for yeah. a one bedroom to thirty four hundred dollars a month for a one bedroom. And when we moved out, he rented the same place for forty five hundred dollars a month. Wow! I mean, we're, we were like stuck. We couldn't move anywhere because My wife and I at the time, we both worked in alcohol beverage marketing, which is like, you know, you maybe make six figures if you're at the top of your game in California. Right. But, you know, if you're a chief marketing officer or something, okay, cool. You make two to 250. But, you know, my neighbor literally across the hallway in our building sold a startup for $350 million. I was like, how do I compete? Like (laughs) everybody around me is like buying you know three million dollar houses and like it's just not you know i don't work in the right industry so that was part of the impetus like we just got to get out of the bay and find better value somewhere and milwaukee was that place
0: dude i commend you for that seriously because i used to go to the bay a lot but i lived in seattle and like it was it was pretty much the same thing man everything is just so expensive there you can't like unless you're in the right industry you can't do anything and i was in tech
2: yep Yeah, I moved. I lived in Seattle for a minute in 2008. It was the first job I got coming back, or 2007, coming back from Mexico. And I lived in West Seattle. And at that time, it was just like, oh, man, I can afford to buy a house here like one day. Like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And now I've got friends and family there. It's just like, holy insane. I mean, there's almost more growth than San Francisco on a percentage volume basis. I think if you're looking at houses and things like that.
0: Right. And uh, I, I speak about the Bay, because as you guys, as you guys know, like not even just the Bay, just along like the West Coast in general, it seems like they're starting to become very like anti-host. So like, how does Wash B&B, and uh, John, I'd, I'd like you to, to add on to this as well. Like how do both of you guys uh, protect yourselves or how are you guys positioning yourselves so that like if like some sort of like regulatory risk presents itself, you guys are prepared to handle that.
1: That's a good question. Me and Daniel were just talking about this the other day, actually. Again, I mean, we've got a great relationship with the aldermen. It's about understanding, you know, what the regulations are in your city and maybe where they're going, uh, how you can exit. And it's interesting situation with the building we're in currently, but uh, it's something that I'm not going to necessarily worry about at the moment until I have to worry about it. But in terms of, I'm not really familiar with the West Coast and things like that, but uh, I think I've been out there once when I was, well, so not familiar with any of the things that we were just talking about, but maybe you can talk to that stuff, Daniel. But in terms of like going back to the pandemic and how that affected our business, my business, you know, we had five units. It was March. We hit 100% occupancy. And I like, I think I shared a screenshot to one of our Facebook groups. I was like, super jacked. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I really found the cheat code here. We're going to blow this thing up. It's going to be an incredible year. And then that was March 11th, I think, when I hit like, like a 90 to 100% accuracy in all my units. And then that following day, you know, that I think March 12th or 13th was like when really the world just fell apart. We lost God, I don't even know how much we lost in reservations. We lost all of our DNC bookings, which were $1,000 a night, you know, reservations. Probably lost. I don't know, maybe sixty, seventy thousand dollars in reservations. But in terms of like pivoting, like it was great experience, honestly, to like learn. I had never thought about doing midterm stays or long term stays. I really was just planning on being in that weekend one day, two day, three day mindset. That was the game plan. So it kind of switched and made me think about well, how can what is the flexibility of short term rentals? Like how can you really play with these contracts that you signed and these these leases that I have? And so That was a great experience, and I think I learned a lot about that. And then, you know, in terms of having – it was super easy for me to handle the pandemic because I had Daniel and I had Wash B&B. So we were already going to be meeting CDC requirements in terms of, like, our our linens and our towels were properly cleaned. We had a cleaning company that was trained in hospitality that's worked in hospitals. So I used that to my advantage, and we marketed that. I mean, I put that as the second picture on any of the OTAs I had them listed on was – I use Wash B and B. I use Fig Cleaning. Nobody else was doing that. I think that that really helped us outperform, you know, our competition in the market. People specifically stated that they wanted to stay with us because we had these things. So then we doubled down on it. And the summer, the summer was still great here. Summer numbers were up. I think if you look at the data, like occupancy and rates actually increased from April moving forward. So through the pandemic occupancy rates increased it, things didn't really slow down so summertime we made some money and we put that money put it back into the business and grew and doubled our unit size and so we're kind of stabilizing right now for the time being until i kind of figure out you know what the next move is but you know hopefully with the good summer we could double up again yeah and i think touching on that a little bit i think
2: for regulation like we've earned a seat at the table and it's time that you gotta take it. Like if you're operating in a city that doesn't have a lot of regulations like Milwaukee does, it's time to start, you know, networking with city leaders. And this isn't out of fear that they're gonna come at you. It's just time to say, My guests over the past five years in Milwaukee have spent over a hundred thousand dollars in occupancy taxes in hotel taxes. And we get zero representation from that. It all goes to the convention bureau who supports hotels and restaurants and general tourism and travel to Milwaukee, but direct benefits like Airbnb operators don't get any of that. So sales tax, five and a half percent, again, more than $50,000 has been put into the city coffers by my guests, you know, from my units. John is working on a multiple of that. He just hasn't been in business as long as I have yet, but you know, his one-year revenues, you know, one-year tax bill is you know, significant to the city and, and to bring in money into the city to support people that live here and work here. So I think it's definitely time to start having seats at the table, taking the seat at the table where it's lightly earned and deserve and not just setting back and letting, you know, the standard sort of chain restaurants. And and so I think it's important to, to take that seat at the table, start talking about the value that we create and, you know, push back against the false sort of narrative that is exists around short-term rentals That one party happens in a city and things get out of control. And somehow that extends to the 99.98% of other reservations that had no problems. No, I think we had a good experience the other day. One of our customers had like a domestic violence incident in one of their units that was a short-term rental. Yes, disruptive to the neighbors, terrible resulted in damage. It's hard to clean up, but I sort of look at it also like if I'm the property manager of that building, because I've lived, I was a neighbor in a building with really terrible domestic violence issue where, you know, police were involved frequently. I had to testify. I mean, it was rough as a neighbor. Like that's the worst thing you could ever, ever, ever ask for in this situation it's resolved because the guest got kicked out and they're no longer a permanent resident there. And it's just kind of like, don't have to deal with it. So I think there's some benefits around, you know, pivoting some of these bad stories into like, yes, but at least they're not your permanent neighbor. And the 364 other days that were occupied in this unit were non-disruptive good quality of life. Those guests came in and spent a ton of money at your local restaurants and bars and supported your local economy. And so I think it's just about shifting that narrative also up, you know, to like what good are we providing and being really loud about the good things that we're providing to neighborhoods and buildings and properties and, and overall the economy.
0: Dude, I love that. I love that you mentioned that so much because I see too many hosts start having this discussion when they receive an email from Airbnb about a city council meeting when it should have been that should have been something that we've been working on like since a city became a popular uh, destination for people to start visiting and for hosts to start like getting properties. And I think a lot of times like our our uh, approach to like this regulatory stuff is too is too reactionary when some opinion has already formed rather than like, hey, like we're noticing more people hosting in a city and therefore it means we're paying a lot of money for we're paying a lot of taxes to this particular city via occupancy tax in some cases, like it's time for us to start realizing the benefits of all this money that we're giving.
2: Couldn't agree more. Like you said, don't be reactionary. It doesn't take a lot of effort to figure out who you're, you know, start, I love smarting at the, at the very bottom, you know, the smallest player, which is usually a district representative or alderman. If you're in the Midwest, those people are just people like you and me. I mean, they're just, you know, usually long-term residents of a neighborhood that have you know, good connections. They work with small business, with residents, everybody. I mean, those are the people you want advocating for you because they see what happens on the ground every day. And it's a great place to start. Now you call the mayor's office. He's got every, you know, $10 million business operating in the city, calling him all the time, asking for this and that. He's got lobbyists, you know, working on him or her. And so I think working, you know, with your local city representatives is usually a great place to start and, and work your way up from there, but at least just start building those relationships. I think Rent Responsibly has got some really good, you know, programming. I'm really excited to see what Rent Responsibly does in this space specifically moving mm-hmm. forward, because I think it's, it's such a huge gap for us all right now.
0: Seriously. But uh, because we're approaching time, I've got to cut the show here. But how can we find both of you guys? Do you guys have any closing remarks? How can we find you guys? How can we get in touch with you guys? If we want to use Washington B? how do we get started?
1: Well, for me, there's a couple of ways to get in touch. I'm sure we'll share a link somewhere. But uh, CremeCityExecutiveStays.com. And then our direct booking website is through Guesty, which is cces.guestybookings.com. So that, and then me and Daniel are pretty active on Clubhouse. We try to be on Clubhouse. We like to be in there. So connecting with both of us probably through Clubhouse is a good idea. But yeah, if you're coming to Milwaukee, I, can, I shouldn't give a
2: lot of preference. But John is a fantastic host. He's a little quiet, but he really is passionate about hosting and hospitality. He's impressed me from the day I met him. On you know being an entrepreneur in a space that he's never worked in. Have you ever worked in a restaurant, John? Yeah, John's sold, never worked in hospitality. I sold
1: shoes. That was the closest I've ever been to working in a restaurant. That's not very close
2: at all. Shoes and uh, and working in schools, which I, you know, there's some hospitality aspects in schools for sure. So it's impressive to see what he's done with his business with Cream City Executive Stays, how he takes care of guests, how he thinks about hospitality, how he wants his guests to have great times in the neighborhood already working with local restaurants and bars to get them, you know, get
1: discounts for his guests and someone's got to represent the city. You know, the city gets a bad rap a lot, a lot of bad energy, a lot of bad vibes about Milwaukee. And like, it's fun to try to play devil's advocate with that and like tell people why this is an awesome place and what there's so much stuff to do. You obviously love Milwaukee. You came from the Bay and like, you think Milwaukee's great. Like Milwaukee, you know, there's summertime shy. I like to bring that point up. Like Kanye West loves to talk about summertime shy, Summertime Milwaukee is the same thing. Like summertime Milwaukee is awesome.
2: Yeah, it's a fantastic place to be. So I think the first first call to action is get here, stay in one of John's dope apartments. He's got one of the good view. Like just check it out; they're really cool places. And you know you're gonna have a fantastic high quality stay because it's gonna be you're gonna be sleeping on washed B and B linens, great cleaning, all that fun stuff. If you're in the Midwest, there's a good chance we'll be able to start servicing you within the next 12-18 months as an Airbnb host. Look us up washbnb.com. All of our social media is aligned to washbnb. And then if you're outside of the Midwest, probably, you know, you're going to take us a little bit of time to get to you We're, I'm always happy to work with anybody on like Twitter, DMs, email. If you got questions about linens or laundry, just like hit me up, find me. I've got time in my day every day just to respond to emails and, you know, phone calls. Like, how do I do this? You know, what should I buy if I can't get wash washbnb? So happy to be that resource for anybody that's looking or has questions and also the Wash B website will eventually become like a depository of educational resources for to help hosts you know get started and answer some of these questions blogs and that type of you know educational information. And then if you're a host and you listen to this and you think that you're going to have to use something like B, or it's maybe a good business idea, you're burned down on the stock market or crypto investing because, you know, those are just at all-time highs and, you know, it's just kind of keep going up forever. The next wave we think is private companies and getting involved in startups. And you can do that right now at wefunder.com forward slash WashBnB. You can invest in WashBnB for as little as a hundred dollars. We've got some fun giveaways that are tied to that Um, i can't talk about exactly what they are or how you get them unless you go to the page um, per sec rules and all that fun stuff but this is a way to invest in an early stage company and this is going to change like this new deregulation which happened this year around crowdfunding is going to change the types of companies that get funded in this country which is really cool it's not just going to be the facebook founder who drops out at harvard to start a company and get funding you get a couple hundred million dollars on the back of a napkin this is you know companies like wash me and B. I mean it's going to change what the founders look like their skin colors their genders where they're operating from where they got their ideas from which is really cool and there's a ton of those opportunities not just wash me and B, available right now so you can jump in there look at them you know see what you think is going to be the next thing to pop and put some money against it and like you said you can start playing like a vc yourself now even though you don't have a few million dollars but if you got thousand dollars in there spread it out between three or four companies a year see what happens in ten years you might hit the lottery
0: all right that is amazing and I'm still laughing at what you said about that crypto joke dude that is amazing I mean,
2: <laughs> to, the <moon. laughs> is, to the moon it is wild man I mean you yeah. just, you look at all the things that we've done and all the money I've invested in Wash maybe myself and some you know of my co-founders and it was like if we just put that money in Dogecoin in, no, in March say that. 2020, it would have been a whole different game. But now we we love what we're doing, and uh, like you, you know, it, it can't go up forever. Nothing can. So maybe it's time for the next asset class to start doing that. And I think now is a great time because we're seeing what's going on in this country, and it's there's too many people in the middle of this country. There's too many people at different socioeconomic classes that are tired of not being able to get ahead. I hope crowdfunding is a way to to generally decentralize some of this democratize access to capital and wealth and so we can start spreading the love around
0: most definitely thank you guys so much for joining so there you guys have it we're going to include more information in the description kind of uh, about this episode and if you guys have any further questions on how you can reach Wash b or how you can reach Cream City Executive Stays feel free to send us an email at uh, team at comfylivins.com. and I will see you guys next week thank you so much thanks for joining us this week on the Comfy Living Podcast. Make sure you visit our website, comfylivings.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Spotify and iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out.